from a chef's perspective, um, it's it's not only atmosphere or beer or food offering, it's produce driven sales, you know, working with local communities, working with um, our people on the ground to try and deliver the best possible result um, in a venue. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. We love a pub down under, not just a place to be social and bend the arm, but these days it's a place to dine and imbibe to. How do you manage multiple food offerings in a large pub group and maintain the high standards across the board? Christian Abbott is an executive chef of Australian Venues Co for Victoria, South Australia, Northern Territory and Tasmania. Christian, how are you? Hey, how are you going, Huck? All right? Yeah, good. Good to catch up with you. You're pretty busy. You're uh, looking after a lot of venues. Yeah, super busy. Um, Obviously, as we know, Australian Venue Co has grown. Um, We've also grown personally and professionally along the journey, so it's been awesome. Um, I think to your point of managing such a vast array of venues, um, we were super lucky to have a great team below us. Um, I feel like the team who we've got working alongside us has been awesome. Um, they've come through our ranks, through our own training programs um, to put us in a good position for this year. Give us a sense of the scale of the operations um, that you're managing. Hey, look, um, scalability is obviously one of our things we need to concentrate on. Um, it's huge, you know, coming from AVC, um, we run a vast array of pubs and restaurants. Um, I think individuality is key for us. Um, we don't hold one same brand, so there's no cookie cutter approach, which you probably would suggest in a, in a large operation like us, but that comes into to the executive chefs. We've got multiple executive chefs that work with us. So we've got myself, Justin Wise, who does Queensland, um, Talina, who does Half of Vic, WA, and we've got Jason, who does New South Wales. So those key four roles play a big part to our business and our business model. That's four channeled minds directing energy into our area chef team to create dynamic brands. How many venues and, and people are you looking after? Um, so in South Australia now, we've got around 18 venues. Northern Territory, we've got three. We've got one which is new, the Telegraph in Tasmania. And I've got around 20 here in Victoria too. So a total around 40, 45. Wow. You mentioned that um, there's a mix of pubs and restaurants. Give us an example of some of them and, and how different they are. Hey, look, so we can, let's talk about some of our key venues. So we'll go into Imperial Hotel, Burke Street, big, hard hitting, in my opinion, one of the best pubs in Melbourne City is, is a pub offering. Um, you know, it does great pub fare, um, everything fresh. Um, serves some really good beers as well. A multi-story site, so awesome. But then we've got the likes of like Middle Park Hotel, The Smith. You know, if you look at Middle Park, it's old school Melbourne. We cook over wood. Um, great produce, um, heavy restaurant hitting. Um, it's also got a good public bar. And then we've got a Smith, which is entertainment led you know we do a really good bottomless brunch there you know so like i say everything's different i mean you can even look at the likes of prince alfred in richmond um college lawn all institutional right so i suppose that's core our core values is, is to have institutional venues in melbourne and surrounds i want to explore something that you mentioned a bit earlier about um changing the the culture within the whole group and looking after everybody but take us back to when you were young what sort of role did food play in your family growing up 
Well, food, you know, for me, um, I suppose it was the only time our family got to be together at the same time. We were, we, you know, we were working class family. We didn't come from heaps of money. Um, so I suppose it was a thing that my mum did. She, she was like, whatever we're doing, whether it's football or rugby or working or whatever, everyone's around the dinner table together. So it played an important role for me from a young age. You know, my mum did everything she could to, to provide for us. And she, um, she cooked fresh every night, which was very important for me going into this career. Um, I had my auntie who was a chef as well at the time. Um, but yeah, I think food yeah, predominantly just brought family together, right? So cohesiveness and, and, and generosity, I suppose, were the, were the two, two main factors for me when I was growing up around food. Is there any sort of feasts or dishes from the family that you remember that you can tell us about? Yeah, look, you know, traditionally Sunday roast, <clears throat> right, we would do, we would normally, normally you'd have it on Sunday, right, Sunday roast, but we, we had ours on Monday and, and I have to admit it was, it was one thing that led me into this industry, just the Sunday roast alone, the vast array of foods that was produced, whether it was mum's cauliflower cheese, chicken, beef or lamb um, from the local butcher. Um, and then the other thing, I suppose mom did really well was her desserts and it was um she did this tipsy trifle which coming into the Christmas period you know I still use to this day is actually still on my menus as mom's trifle which is it's Bailey <laughs> it's Bailey's liquid trifle with you know cherry and cherry and white chocolate you know different spin but super creative my mom and, and you know huge influence for me on cooking yeah tell us about those first steps into the industry what, what was it like for you in a commercial kitchen hey look um first steps into the industry i actually started life as i said go, going from a working class family mom made us work relatively early and i, I landed a job in it was a, a local pub very fresh vibrant pub it was called the moorings in leamington spa so a small little spa town um and i started life glass collecting at 14 because i couldn't really do anything else of that age and one of the chefs dropped out, I remember, and the executive chef at the time came out to me and he said, oh, we're in this shit, Let, can you jump in? I was like, yeah, all good, let's jump in. And then I suppose from then on, I just carried on. So um, it was probably around, yeah, around the age of 15, I, was, I, I jumped in the kitchen and whether I was washing up, whether I was in service, whether I was in prep, I kind of took it from the horns there. And to be honest with you, it gave me... Not only was I earning money young, and you know, when you earn money young, you want to buy your knives or whatever, whether it's a pair of trainers, um, but it gives me a sense of importance outside of what would be an educated world. You know, I, I was one of those kids at school. I was good. I was good when I was into it, but half the time I wasn't into it because all I wanted to do was cook. And I suppose going back in time, taking a cooking class at school wasn't the, 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 the to do. As, as a young male, you know, it was very, it was at the time, it was very female heavy. So I never really had um, that expression to do it while I was at school. So this, this place, the Moors, gave me this, this outlet to be creative. It was almost like art, but on a plate, right? So um, there was so much to learn and so much, I suppose, to keep me out of trouble. Yeah, I could, I could channel my energies into this, this mm. dynamic which uh, is, is obviously catering or chefing now, yeah? 
What, what were the really important venues and um, mentors that you worked with as you started to build your career in the UK? Hey, look, obviously the UK has some huge, huge influences in the, in the food scene. Um, I started competing very young. Um, I obviously knew how much energy I channeled into this profession. I knew where I wanted to be. I knew what I wanted to do. And then competition started coming. Um, there was the likes of Tom Kitchen, Simon Hallstone, John Williams out of the Ritz. Um, we've obviously got Gordon. Um, at the time, he was blowing up along with Mark Sargent, um, which was awesome to see because he was putting us on the map, whether it was it was for the right reasons or the wrong reasons. He was on the map. He was a, he was this chef who had just come out of Marco's Kitchen doing his thing. Um, but yeah, I think it, it would be Tom Kitchen, Re Seafood, Simon Hallstone, being small town um, and Gordon and John Williams being out of London, I suppose. When did the law of Australia happen for you and what brought you out here? Hey, look, I, um, I'd worked, yeah, up to the age of 25, all right? So I'd never really left England. I think I'd been on one holiday to Europe and I just dedicated my whole, whole life to this industry to become who I've become. Um, I suppose for me, it was just one night I finished work and I was like, I need to get out and see what's happening. So I went to Asia, um, got on a flight, packed up everything I was doing in England. I, I, I got probably as far as I wanted to get to in England. And I was like, let's go and check out Asia. And then um, I heard about this company called Australian Venue Co. And we had a couple of Zoom interviews, probably this is eight, eight years ago now. Um, Oh, it wasn't. It wasn't even Zoom then. Actually, sorry, not not Zoom. Zoom came in lockdown. Yeah, like it was. Um, it was Skype. So um, yeah, I always wanted to hit Australia. I, I always heard amazing things about food and produce here, and I was like, I need to be there. Um, I suppose there's always the weather that that helps, right? But I just every chef I knew it was Australia 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 I think it was maybe 10% of people would say America Canada and 90% of people would say Australia um, and when I landed here that was it I was I was off the ground running how different were the kitchens uh, that you started working in in Australia compared to what you were used to hey look that's that's a that's a big question right because the industry's completely flipped on its head after COVID um, but I was used to fast paced, hard hitting, even to the point, I suppose, getting off a plane, I was brash and I was probably a bit too harsh when I landed. Um, and I had to come to terms very quickly about how relaxed it actually is here and actually understand a different way of cooking to what I would be normally cooking in, in the UK. You can still do good food while being humble and polite, right? You know, I just didn't know any different. Take us through that sort of period of time for you and sort of finding your feet in Australia. What, what's some of the um, experiences that you had? Hey, look, um, finding my feet in Australia, you know, <clears throat> first of all, I came out on a, um, I came on a sponsored visa, yeah? So I was sponsored by Australian Venue Co. And I say to all chefs coming over to Australia nowadays, if, if I can guide them in any way, shape or form, Try not to take a senior position straight away and kind of use your time to analyse what seasonality looks like and adaptation. Um, I suppose after the six months, it, um, I had uh, Craig Ellison and our COO and Rachel, our head of HR, 
in the venue, and that's when I took my first strides into into the current position I'm in. Um, but it definitely took me six months to to, to find my feet, um, and not only to find my feet, I wanted to explore Australia and and and, and see what the produce looked like. Right? How did you find the produce in Australia when you first arrived compared to what you were used to? Look, I say this heavy heartedly. Um, Australian produce is phenomenal. It's, in my opinion, it's the best in the world, right? We're surrounded by the best seafood in the world, some of the best beef in the world. Like, it's phenomenal. For a chef of any level, Australian produce is, is the best on ground. I know sustainability is important to what you do. How do, how do you um, approach that in, in a pub setting with so many venues? Hey, look, it's um, <clears throat> sustainability, you know, it, it's a very, it's a, it's a word that's used very heavily from, from chefs all over at the moment. But I think for me, it's doing things that's right by the planet rather than using the word sustainability. Um, I suppose for the future of us, yeah, if people still want to be eating the best beef and Eating the best seafood, it's you know, it's not hard to not be overfishing specific dynamics. So <clears throat> I suppose our menu changes come into play here quite heavily. Um, we don't want everyone to be using the same thing. You know, we empower our head chefs to create specifics on the menus, yeah? Um, now, we might have a chef who go, oh, I want to do snapper. And they've got another chef who wants to do barra, another chef who wants to do salmon. You know, it, that's our core values, yeah? We want to experience... Um, sustainability and, and, and the future of our world and environment for as long as we can. A vast operation like us, if we weren't thinking along those lines, you know, we, we, we tend to run a risk, right? So uh, there'll be some large, larger companies who don't think along those lines and they're the people that are making our world fall to shit, essentially, right? Um, but yeah, empowerment of our people to deliver... Um, their own dishes, you know, it's not just my ideas or another executive chef's ideas. It's it's our whole team's ideas, right? Do you, are there some examples of producers that you worked closely with or, or use um, within the group? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I, um, you know, Anthony uh, Victor Churchill. You know, he's been right by my side from day one. Um, I feel, you know, James Madden. At Flinders as well, always been a supporting role for me. Um, both of them now rolling carbon neutral beef supply. They can track back by a QR code nowadays where the beef is and who the farmer is. You know, the, the, the technology they're putting into beef alone is phenomenal, right? Um, I think you look at what CJ's doing at Seclunas. Seclunas are heavy hitters nowadays. Like they are coming through the ranks, and what he's doing from from a vegetable point of view, he's doing it through through love and passion. Yeah, and they're the people that I want to be working with, right? So, um, I suppose Aura King Salmon as well. You know what they're doing and pushing pushing their products and, and actually doing much right by the environment. You know, we've we've been to 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 the farms. We've actually witnessed what they're doing you know it, it's you know you you hear all this thing about unsustainable farming and etc but you know what they're doing in, in new zealand is it, it isn't yeah uh, we'll take us on to the farm and tell us what your experiences were like and sort of how eye-opening they were for you yeah look you know i suppose for me when we went over to new zealand 
<clears throat> I probably wasn't expecting how well everything was was operated and, and you know what they do in there is is phenomenal phenomenal efforts you know they're they're, they're pushing that they're, they're delivering a great product um that's good for most businesses yeah like it's not just uh, the pub business it's 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 restaurants it's it's functions events it's everything you can think of right like they're they're delivering a good well-sourced products, um, product to play. It's fantastic. Earlier on, you mentioned uh, about nurturing chefs and how the kitchen culture has sort of been turned on its head, particularly in the last couple of years with COVID. What, what's your approach um, with nurturing to get the best out of your staff? Hey, look, um, I think it's in terms of nurturing staff for me nowadays, you know, there's always been this kind of culture in the chefing industry, whether it's going out for drinks after work and then going back in and starting at 7am and working all the hours under the sun, but they're not really productive hours, right? So one thing we've done for our staff is, is implement a four day working week, you know, which has helped. And, you know, you'd be surprised. A lot of people actually don't want to do that. And actually um, giving the chefs opportunity to choose the hours they want to be working, whether it's four or five days, I think, that's been a huge thing and actually trying to divert away from that old school culture and, 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 and driving a more um, friendly and nurturing response rather than drilling into our teams. Um, I think it's very important, you know, people and chefs particularly actually found out what their worth was in COVID. Yeah. I think for decades, as chefs, and even from my own experience, half the time we were we weren't worthless, but we were made to feel a specific way. Um, and I just think for the future of this volatile industry, if we all took this approach of diverting in a different way, whether that's going out for a run in the mornings and waking up clean and fresh, and um, I feel our industry will not be on its arse in 10 years. And, and for me, it's been a big factor into how we're moving forward, uh, especially in Australia. Give us a sense of your role and the day-to-day -day sort of interactions that you have with, with so many um, venues and so many head chefs that you're working with. What, what does your role encompass? Hey, look, um, my role is super varied. It can, it can be anything, right? From menu development to HR to people development to culture to produce, working with the procurement team and Fonda. Um, it, it, it's vast. It's vast. The role, people always ask me this, to be honest. What did your job entail? Yeah, like, what, what is your, what is this? But honestly, you can imagine such a big beast moving, right? You can be pulled from one side to another, like click your fingers, yeah? Whether it's marketing, whether it's HR, whether it's, yeah, like honestly, the, the, the role is super, super varied. Is there a venue that you've just recently been working on and, and launched that you can tell us about and what it took to get it up and running? Yeah, for sure. So the, the last one I've done um, was Tasmania, actually. Um, Tasmania... We, we obviously, Australian Venue Code going into Hobart. It's a new venture for us, you know, span, expanding our wings. Um, look, meeting new producers, work, figuring out what uh, the best produce is to be using 
in and around Tasmania, um, actually sourcing a team in Tasmania for, 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 for people that don't really know who you are, you know, had its challenges, but we're lucky enough to have people in Victoria who wanted to move to Tasmania. Um, but honestly, like, yeah, from looking at the color palette from the design, from looking at the menu for checking the price files to, to check in, um, local competition. Yeah. Again, like even a project of that dynamic, is so big. And then not only that, getting to know the locals and getting our local clientele on board and also local publicans, yeah, local publicans. They think, Oh, this, this company is coming into Tasmania. Um, but actually we're, 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 we're just like them, you know, what makes, uh, a great pub and great food offering within a pub hey, look um look for me mate it's produce driven sales yeah it's as simple as that um charge accordingly um it's it's it it is just that like for, for, from a chef's perspective um it's it's not only atmosphere or beer or or food offering is produce driven sales, you know, working with local communities, working with um, our people on the ground to try and deliver the best possible result um, in a venue. Yeah. So it, as I say, produce driven sales is key. Yep. You grew up in the UK where gastro pubs are a real feature of the dining landscape. How, how do you compare an, an Aussie pub and its food offering compared to the gastro pubs of the UK? Oh, look, we're, 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 Honestly, I just went back to the UK, yeah, and I was I was I was doing a recruitment drive. Um, well, I went over with our recruitment team, and I was recruiting young English talent to move over to Australia to to hopefully do exactly what I've done. Um, but honestly, I feel like our pub scene at the minute is on fire. Yeah, I, 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 what we're doing, and it's not not just me or, or Talina or Justin or Jason, or it's actually what Australia is doing in the pub scene. You know, nowadays you go into a pub, and nine times out of ten you're going to get a good feed. Yeah, All right. It's very rare to go into a pub and you, and you actually leave that pub and you go, yeah, that was no good. Yeah, yeah. Our pubs have upskilled themselves to 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 actually. I don't like the word gastro pub. I, I, I don't deliver on it, but our pubs have upskilled themselves to, to, to be some of the best, yeah. And take it from um, take it from the UK. I suppose Tom Kerridge was the one to really deliver this first, and you know he's he's, he's getting into the mission guard of the pub. I remember it was like it was like a big thing, you know, um, and actually doing good pub foods with a great experience was good, yeah. Now if we take that ethos here. We've, we've also done that, but we've leveled up, yeah? Whether we're, whether we're using the best produce in Australia or we've got the best chefs in Australia in the venues, we're, we've, we've upskilled and, and leveled up. Yeah, absolutely. You've uh, made quite a mark since you've moved to Australia in, a, in a, an incredible group that's spread across the country. What, what do you love about what you do? Look, um, for me, it's the people who we work with, you know, in every single department, in our company, we have got the best people, yeah? Whether it's marketing or procurement or HR, we've got a phenomenal group um, that work alongside us, you know? We've got the likes of, and even operating, you know, we've got Evan Gagari, we've got Simon Caruso, Underline, you know, Craig Ellison. I think our whole operating structure and, and dynamic as a business 
is huge. Yeah. And, and that, again, like I say, I reiterate, goes back to good people. Yeah. It's as simple as that, you know. Um, having good people alongside you makes life easy. If you're working with a, a, a crew who you don't respect or don't get along with, makes life hard, doesn't it? Absolutely. Well, um, we're pushing into summer now. What's what's the plans sort of over the summer and the next year or two uh, for you and the group? Look, we've got um, we have things called brownfields where we renovate pubs and restaurants that are already standing. Um, for the group, we've got um, we've got seventy brownfields up to February. Yeah, so that's so that's seventy projects across Australia and New Zealand. Um, for me, you know, we've got we've got a lot going on in Victoria. We've also got a lot going on in South Australia. We've got um, Waterloo Station Hotel that goes live mid-Feb at this stage. We've got Studley Park Boathouse in Kew, which goes live. That's a that's a multi-level site. You'll you'll hear more about that at the time. Um, we've got Middle Park Rooftop that will oversee Albert Park and straight into the city. Um, we've got the Auburn Hotel in Hawthorne. We've got an extension of the Beer Garden in. Hawthorne Hotel, um, yeah. There's the, 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 there's a vast amount going on. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it sounds sounds like you're going to be pretty busy, uh, Christian. We've loved catching up with you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear just a bit of your story. Good luck with the years ahead. Um, please keep in touch, and we'll catch up again soon. Absolutely. Thanks so much, guys. Been a pleasure. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.